God's been good, hasn't he? I thank you there's some people visiting. You make sure if you're a regular attendee, you make sure you make them feel welcome. Even if they are from Chicago, amen? Is that right, brother? All right, let's turn in our Bibles. Let's go ahead and stand. I want you to turn, and we're going to look at Psalm 14. Psalm 14. Now, today is like a second message from my last message last Sunday. I told you I didn't feel right about what I was going to do Sunday night, so we didn't have it. So this is Sunday night's message today. I want to encourage you to listen tonight. Tonight's got a two-part message, and the first one is about faithfulness. And there's a word that I find that runs right straight with faithfulness. I've never thought of it before, but God gave this to me. You know what runs right straight with faithfulness? Forgiveness. Because you know why some people are not faithful to the Lord? Because they can't forgive people, and they look at God, and they can't forgive God for what He's done. You ever been there? What I'm talking about is sometimes we have an attitude. And if we don't watch our attitude, guess what, Russ? It'll get the best of us. Anybody have a bad attitude ever in here? Man, I get them all the time. I get them when I drive. You know, and this week, the Lord taught me something. Riley, my, my mechanic, where's my mechanic, Riley? Where's he at? Is he here? Oh, he's right there. My mechanic, Riley, has to work, at my car, work on my car because it'll only go 50 miles an hour. And you know what I've become? I've become that person that I don't like. I'm the guy going up the hill 50 miles an hour and people are honking and waving at you and doing things to you and stuff. So he's going to fix that this week, aren't you, Riley? No pressure, okay? But that's what we're doing. You know, sometimes we get upset real easy. And let's look at this verse, and I want you to see this. The, the Bible says, if you can put this up here, remove not. We're having a lot of things removed, aren't we? And um, my question to you is this. What are we to do with this stuff? Go to Psalm, verse number four, chapter 14. And it says this, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. One member of the media this week said that Jesus Christ was not perfect when he was on this earth. I've got that quoted on my phone. I would not want to be him. Amen. This is what, he, what we've become. The fool has said there is no God. Because once you take out perfection out of Christ, you take God out of Christ. And that's exactly what they were doing. Go to verse number two. It says that the Lord looked down from heaven upon the, upon the children of, of men to see if there are any that did understand and seek God. They are, they are all gone aside. They're all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Look at verse number four. Have all the workers of iniquity no knowledge? Who eateth up my people as they eat up bread and, and call not upon the Lord? There were they in great fear, for God is a generation of the righteous. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for everything that you've done for us. May we truly understand you have something for us. May we remove not, and as I get into that verse, Lord, may we understand what you have for us. We'll give you all the praise and glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated in just a second. Daniel's going to play something for you. I want to say this, I am not telling you who to vote for. I'm not going to tell you if I agree with this man, but I think, I think you'll probably understand it right off the bat. But I want to tell you one thing we need to do, we definitely need to pray for our president. I, I remember going back and um, even when um, Obama was president, President Obama, I prayed for him. We need to pray for our leaders. We need to pray for, do you realize what would happen if something happened to one of our presidents? 
I was reading a, a story, and there was a story in there about every president that's got elected on a zero number. Have you ever heard that? Every 20 years a president's elected, and every 20 years, every one of those presidents have either been assassinated or tried to be assassinated. You can trace it way back to John F. Kennedy, of course, Ronald Reagan. You go through this George Bush with the, with the towers going down. We've got to pray for our president. We need to make sure we pray for him. Clarence Sexton did something on, uh, Pastor Sexton did something on Facebook, and I want to play this for you. It's about four minutes, and it talks about areas that we can pray for our president. Is it ready, Daniel? All right, let's go ahead and listen to this. America has a tremendous heritage. It is a gift to all of us. And I'm here to ask you to begin to pray every day for our president, Donald Trump. He's moving toward reelection. He has the opportunity to serve four more years in our country as our president. He has my vote. I want to encourage you to give him your vote and encourage others to vote for him. But more importantly, I want us to pray for him. I want us to pray that God will use him in a very special way. I want us to pray for the spiritual awakening and revival that we need in America. All of us know that we're in a crisis right now, all of us. And uh, it is a, a crisis that threatens to tear our country apart. We need leadership, and I think our president can provide this leadership. But we need more than that. We need a real revival, a spiritual revival in this country. And our president knows about revival. His mother grew up off the coast of Scotland and Hebrides Island. And she came to America, Marion McLeod, found a husband, started a family. But she grew up as a child in a place where people pleaded with God for revival. And revival came to the Hebrides and it spread through the whole world. Our president knows about the history of that revival. And I want you to ask God to send revival to this country. It ought to begin in your life and my life as we pray. How shall we pray for our president? We should pray that God gives him wisdom. The Bible teaches us that the Lord gave wisdom to Solomon, king of Israel, and God can give wisdom to our president. I want you to pray that God would use our president in such a way that he would have the strength that he needs day by day. The Bible says, as thy days, so shall thy strength be. And he needs daily strength for the daily task he faced. And then may God give him that strength. Pray for his strength. And then I want you to pray for his counselors. That there'll be wise men and women who are by his side, who give him wise counsel, help him as he governs and leads our nation. And then let's pray for his family. His family, we pray, will be safe, stay healthy, that God will watch over them. The president loves his family and his family loves him. And I'm so thankful that we have this opportunity to pray for his family. And then I want us to pray that God will give him courage. He speaks with courage and great boldness. And I'm very thankful for this. And the real kind of courage that we need is the courage that comes from our faith in God, knowing that God is with us and God is gonna bless and guide us. Stand with us and help us as we stand with him. And so we're praying for the president and for his courage, that God will continue to give him the courage we need in these perilous times to lead our country. There's no nation on the face of the earth greater than our America. And I hope your heart is full of love and devotion, gratitude to God for our country. 
and there are opportunities for us to do our best, to give our best. And we're praying for our president that he will give his best, that he will finish the assignment that God has given him in these next four years of his election. And uh, I'm on his team. I want you on his team. Let's believe that God is doing a mighty work and the tide will turn in America. I want you to join with me and encourage others to be a part of this prayer team, praying for our president, Donald Trump. And may God bless you as you pray. Can you imagine what he goes through, his schedule and everything that he goes through? And everything, every time someone turns around, it's with, the, with every president. They get ridiculed for anything that they say, anything that they do. And so we do live in a great country. How many of you like the country? If you don't, there's other countries to go to, okay? You know, I've always heard people say, I'm not going to, if someone gets elected, I'm not going to stay in the country. You know what they always do? They always stay. I don't know of one that's left. So we need to make sure that we understand what's going on. We're in, a, in Genesis, in, in, in Psalm um, uh, 14, it says this, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. I want to tell you something, there is a God. When we're looking at these things that are going on, the, the things that have been knocked down, you know, I, I, I read an article that these, these writers were in one particular thing, and they were destroying things, of course. They were tearing down statues. And, and they didn't even know what they were tearing down. They were about ready to tear down, if you know who this is, Booker T. Washington. Now, if you know who Booker T. Washington is, he would not be one they want to tear down. But they just don't have any common sense with what we're doing right now. You see the coronavirus spiking. You know what I think it is? I think it's the riots. These people, I don't know how they can say hundreds of people and thousands of people get together and it's not going to be passed. So, I, I mean, I look at it and I go, and I'm not trying to be politically incorrect here, but I'm telling you, we're living in some perilous days. And we can't do anything if we're not praying. God needs us to pray. He loves to hear our voice. And as we, what, what are we to do? You know, you, you look at this. The Bible says in Proverbs, I don't know if you ever read this verse, it says, Remove not the ancient landmarks which thy fathers have set. What does that mean? Well, in biblical times, what would happen is if you owned property, you would put, you'd put markers up on your property, sort of like what you have here in this picture. Sometimes it was in the corner of the property, and they would put those there, and it would be a reminder of what, what they owned. But then you have other landmarks that were put out. I think of Abraham. Abraham was a person that everywhere he went, what did he do? He built an altar. Read your story of Lot. He never built an altar. What happened to Lot? You know, he had, it, he had an uncle that he could have just said, hey, hey Abraham, what, what do I need to do? But he never did that. We need to keep these landmarks. Proverbs 22, verse 18, uh, verse number 28, I mean, it says, remove not the ancient landmarks. We're trying to remove everything. I don't want to be a hoarder, but I want to tell you something. Some of those statues means something. You know, you, you can say until you're, you're blue in the face, Christopher Columbus was not a good person. I think he was. I think he endured a major time getting over here. You know how I got here? I was born here. I didn't have to get on a boat. And how many people are the pilgrims and all those that passed away even on the ride over here? Did we do everything right? No. But we still live in a great country. 
And we're, we're getting in a spot where we're trying to remove everything and we don't even understand what we're doing. There is a reason why, why when Moses came down, the Ten Commandments were not on a piece of paper. They were embedded in stone. And yes, Moses broke the first one out of anger towards his own people. But you know what? Those stones were made so that they wouldn't be destroyed. The second one coming down that Moses made himself, which whenever you do something yourself, you'll keep it better than you will anything else. And that, those still are in existence. But as I, as I look at this, I think, what are we going to do? What are we going to do as Americans? We, we, we've seen some things, and we've seen some things, some perilous times in our life. But I want, you, I want to go back to saying this. We don't need to remove things from our life. We need to look at things and learn from them. I, I, I love my family, but I want to tell you something. I, I can remember there was a big wooden spoon on the wall. And it wasn't for decoration. And then beside it, there was a belt. And that wasn't for decoration either. Believe me, I met them close up a couple times. But as we, as we look back, I remember thinking, you know what those things were? They weren't good for me. I'd look at them and go, I don't want that close to me. That hurts. I remember one time I got spanked and my dad has name, Wagner. He had a, remember those leather belts where they'd put your name on it? My name, it said Wagner backwards on my leg from where he hit me. And I, I was like, I, you know, when I look at it, I was like, I don't really like that belt. But you know what? I can't, I can't imagine if I, I, I signed a petition, me and my sister, we're 50% of the house. Mom, Dad, we want you to take those belts away. We're going to get some ropes on them. We're going to tie them down. We're going to pull them off the wall. We're going to destroy them. You know what that would do? That would make my dad get another one. And it would be stronger and longer and harder, and it would hurt worse. You've heard me tell this story. My, my sister one time, I did something. My sister was older than me. Um, she passed away last year. She, I think she was 70 when she passed away. Is that right, Ann? 70 or 71. She told me, she said, go out to the weeping willow bush and weep willow tree and get your switch because I'm going to give you spanking. I was like, and I was like, where is my mom and dad when I need them? And I went out and got the longest stick I could possibly find on that weeping willow branch because it had all these branches sticking out. And I was in there, and I was, how many of you ever tested something? I'm testing, it's like, she can't hit, she can't swing this very hard because it's got so many things. And I'll never forget the evil look in her eye when she grabbed that thing and she went, and pulled everything off. Now what I've done is I've given her the longest stick on that tree with the most swinging ability at all. See, I didn't test it like that. I tested it with everything on it. And I wanted to go say, can I go get another one? But that's not what happened. You know, when I look at some things when I was disciplined, I remember the bad things. And the bad things sometimes will help us. But as a Christian, the Bible says this, that we're supposed to not remove things. Remove not the ancient landmarks which thy fathers have set. The fathers set them for a reason. Look at this. We don't need to move, remove Christ from our life. And mark it down, that's what's coming. If they don't like Christopher Columbus, do you not think they're going to like Christ? We looked a little bit about this last week, but I want to point out some things in, in our life. What does Christ mean to you? Because we better understand what we believe. You better understand what you believe. They say some of the biggest cults, Jehovah Witnesses and some of these other ones, have more Baptists in them than anything else. You know why? Because people don't know what they believe. We better know what we believe. There's three things I want you to see that what, what Christ means to me when, for sake of review. Number one, He's my Savior. You say, well, you're just giving me basic things. Yeah, because you need to know the basics. 
You know, when I read, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that's what I think of. He's my savior. God gave his only son to die on a cross for me. No one else could have done it. But he did it. He's my savior. Aren't you thankful he's your savior? If he's not your savior, get, let him be your savior. You can't do it alone. You have to have God do this for you. He sent his only son to die on a cross for you. So what does Christ mean to me? So when I hear things of people saying that Christ was not perfect, that, that makes me angered. Me and Mark Gardner, the only two that are angered about it. I'm telling you, I get angered about it because he is my Savior. Not only that, he is my God. And when I look at his, him, him being my God, you know what I think of? He's my creator. So if there's anything I've done wrong, it's his fault. He may be this way. Amen? No, I'm just kidding. Say, he's a creator. Man, I can go out and see God's creation wane in anything. You know, the other day, we saw one of the best rainbows I've ever seen. I remember looking at it and thinking, man, that is, I think it was a double rainbow, if I remember right. It was in, in, in Kingsport. I just thought, thank the Lord for his goodness. You know, we, you, you can look at trees, you can look at, um, go, go to, what's that place where, we, where the men go? Um, the natural tunnel. And to think that God made that, that's amazing. I mean, how many of you ever had the opportunity to see Niagara Falls? How many of you ever got to go on that boat that goes down at the bottom? Anybody do that? All right, let me see. Raise your hand. All right. Okay. Well, I got to go to that, and um, we were on a, a singing group. I was a singing group for my college, and I got to go there, and we got all the way down there. And, of course, they ask you what size jacket you wear, and you tell them what size jacket you wear, and we get down there. And literally, you get poured on. It's like buckets of water pouring on you because you're going almost under the waterfall. And I remember we got there and you, you have your jacket in a little pouch and everything's okay and, and you're waiting to get out there and then they'll say, put your jackets on. You've got your life preserver on you, and you, they say, put your jackets on. Well, all of us, and there were 15 in our group, we all put our jackets on. Every one of them fit except mine. When I went through the line, I asked for, an ex, uh, I asked for a large at that time. It was not extra large, praise God, but I asked for a large. I didn't check it, but I got underneath the waterfall, I checked and it said children's large. I can tell you buckets of water rained on me that day and my sleeves were about right up to here. Couldn't hook it together. When I got off, everybody else was dry and I was soaked. But you know when I was under there, I was looking and amazed at the jacket they gave me, but I was looking at it, I was like, this is amazing that God made this. You know what's more amazing about that? is that Niagara Falls in the winter freezes. You ever thought about that? What do they tell you to do? They tell you to leave your water running, dripping, so it won't freeze. You ever seen the water at Niagara Falls? It freezes. I guess that theory sometimes doesn't work. And I know they shut off the water and they do other things to Niagara Falls, but as, as, as you look at it, you're just amazed that God can make that. He is our creator. Not only is he my savior, he's my God, he's my friend. He walks with you through the valley of the shadow of death. I want you to look at something and never forget this. Go to Matthew chapter 27. We're going to go through this pretty quick. Matthew chapter 27. 
And I want to read a few verses to you. Matthew chapter 27, verses 29 through 31. If you ever forget who God is, read 31, 29 through 31. And it says, And when they had platted a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head, and a reed in his right hand, and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit upon him, and they took the reed and smote him on the head. And after that they had mocked him, they took the robe off of him, off from him and put his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him. When I read this, I realize how great God is. There's even some things we read, and, and Josh, as we read them, sometimes it's just we don't even put in light of what they, they, they They've beaten him. He's bleeding profusely, and they put a jacket on They put a robe on it. Anybody have an open wound and you like a robe put on it? Then they take the robe off. You think that felt good? We read that and we go, oh yeah, they put a robe on, took it off, and they put his clothes back on him. It hurt him immensely. That's what I think of when I think of Christ. He did all these things for me. He was my Savior. He was my God. He was my friend. Keep reading in verse number 34. It says in verse number 34, um, they gave him vinegar to drink mingled with, with gall, and when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. And they crucified him and parted his garment, casting his lots. Now look at this next statement that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets. That's an interesting statement because here it's showing that Christ is fulfilling the Old Testament just by little things here. God knows exactly what He's doing. He is your friend. He is your God. He is your Savior. And this is showing you exactly what He, what he should mean to you. You can keep reading in verse number 37. They put, a, they put a sign over. In verse 39, they wag their heads at him while they walk over. And then they make these outlandish statements. That thou destroyest the temple, in verse number 40, and buildest it up in three days. Save thyself, if thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. That's why he couldn't come down. Because he was the Savior. He was God. And he had to be the sacrifice. Keep reading. It says, he saved others himself, in verse number 42. Himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we, be, we will believe him. And my, my point to you is this. Do you think they would have believed in him? They would have hung him on another cross. They wanted to kill him. The mob wanted to kill him. They wanted to sacrifice him. They wanted to crucify him. But I'm thankful that he is my God. He is my savior. And he is my friend. So what does God mean to you? That's what he should mean to you. The second question I want to propose to you and what has Christ done for you? Well, yeah, He was crucified for you. There's something that was more miraculous than that. I want you to look at this in verse number, um, we're going to look at this, the crucifixion. We don't even do the crucifixion because it's too harsh in the United States. He was a comforter. Man, if you need anything when you're going, how many of you ever went through something and you knew the only one that could help you is God? You sit there and go, I don't know what else I can do. I can't handle this myself. You know, I saw, there was about four or five of you that called me this week, and I know you were checking on me. I know who you are, and I know where you live, amen? But I appreciate you calling me. My daughter came over and visited me, spent two days with me, and she didn't bring the hoodlum with her. And I love the hoodlum, but she at the very end said, you know what, I like coming over here by myself because I get all the attention. <laughs> She's just like her mother, amen, praise God. You know, they were all coming over and they were trying to comfort me, but in all actuality, they comforted me, but you know what? Who can comfort you the most? It's not people. It's not. When my wife had her surgery 12 years ago, they told me it was going to be a three-hour surgery. It ended up being like eight. 
And they didn't give me an update until about seven hours into it. I can remember sitting out in the waiting room going, what in the world's going on? What in the world? They removed some tumors and did some endometriosis removal and all that. And I was like, what in the world is going on? What's going on? And you know, at that point, Randy, all I had was God. But I felt like when I was in that Priscilla that all of a sudden everything was okay. And they came out and told me she's doing okay. It's going to take her a while to heal. The, the surgery was longer than expected. I said, yeah, yeah, you told me three hours and now it's seven hours down into it. But God is all we can rely on. He's our comforter. You ever been with somebody and you really don't know what you can say to them? There's certain situations where you go, I can't say anything. I just need to be there. But Jesus is always there for us. He's our comforter. He, he did the crucifixion for us. He's a comforter. But you know, the biggest thing about this was the resurrection. Amen. I was thinking about the resurrection. Jesus is the only one that was resurrected that no one asked him to be resurrected. What do you mean by that? Remember Lazarus, when he was, re when he was resurrected, what happened? Jesus told him to come. The little girl, Jesus brought her back. But Jesus is in the tomb and he resurrects himself because he has the power to do that. There's no one else that could do that. And believe you, you me with this, if the world could prove that he wasn't resurrected, they would have done it. But they can't prove it. They know. There's many different things. Do, do a study. And do it on your own. I'm not going to tell you what it is. But do a study. You remember when they went in and they saw where Jesus was gone? What did they find? They found a veil. Remember the... the and what was it? It was folded. You want to get some chill bumps? Find out what that means. Because it means something. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but it means something. It's an amazing statement what Jesus did. Let's look at some verses in this when it talks about this. Flip over to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. And it says verses 1 through 8. Let's read this. It says, And in the end of the Sabbath, as it began to draw dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from, from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. The countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. That's an interesting verse. They have these soldiers here and keepers and they're scared to death. They won't say anything and they started shaking. And it says this, it says, And the angel answered and said unto the woman, Fear not, for I know that ye seek Christ which was crucified. He is not here. <laughs> I love Easter time because that's what, Christ, that's what Christmas is all about, amen. That's what Christianity is all about. We've got to get back and understanding that God has something for us. We get so wrapped up in this and, and we, don't, we fail to realize what God has done for us. The resurrection was no little thing. Keep reading verse number 8. And they departed quickly in the sepulcher with fear and great joy. We talked about that last week. With fear and great joy and did run to bring his disciples word. So here's what he's done for me. He's been my, he, he was crucified for me. He was a comforter. He's still the comforter for you. He, was a resur he resurrected. And as you look at this, read verses 9 and 10, and we'll be done with this part of the story. It says, As they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, All hail. And they came and, and held him by his feet and worshipped him. Then said Jesus unto him, Be not afraid. Go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee, and there shall they see me. He, he understands people. He understands that we have fear. But he's our comforter. He understood they had fear. And they had no idea what was going on. Their whole world has been rocked. 
Jesus died on the cross. But they saw all the miracles. They saw the, the darkness. They saw the earthquake, the veil rent. They saw dead people. When, when Jesus was, 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 died, dead people were walking through the streets. I don't understand it, but they were. The disciples knew all of it, but they didn't understand the power of it. And then all of a sudden, now they understand three days will I rebuild this temple. It wasn't a building, it was his body. We've got to get and understand that God has something for us. So, my question to you is this. It says, remove not the ancient landmarks. The, the lost world sees things different. Landmarks to us are different than what they are to them. We can't expect them to act like us. Um, as, as I was reading some of these things, I, I, was, I was thinking of this. Um, ancient landmarks, remove not the ancient landmarks which the Father has set. Statues are crumbling, being tossed. Landmarks are, are, are here for guidance, for boundaries. In England, they toppled, and I, you heard me say this, they toppled Winston Churchill. They threw, I think they threw him in the water. What was the other option? Are they going to put Adolf Hitler up because he was the other option? You say, well, are you kind of upset about this? I am because I love America. I love what we stand for. I you read some Winston Churchill books, you'll find a very interesting man. He stood when no one else was saying. And you know what I like about him? If you were to look at him physically, you would never think he was that macho man that, that everybody just thinks. He's a man's man. He didn't look that way, but I'm telling you what, he had some fortitude. And everybody was against him. And so now they're, they're toppling these things. I, I, I don't know if you've ever heard of G. Vernon McGee. He's an evangelist and a preacher. He's since passed away. He died in 1988. But he wrote this. He's talking about the old landmarks. He said, the old landmarks, the doctrine which was taught in the day of the apostle, Paul is no longer relevant. This is what people are saying, not him. We have learned so much that we don't need the doctrine of the absolute inspiration of the scriptures. We can do away with that. That's what our people are saying. And we, we can do away with the doctrine of the deity of Christ. They have distinguished... They have dis distinguished doctrines of the Christian faith have been pretty well washed out by the great many of the old de um, denominations on the basis that we must come up to date. That's what he said. That's what the world thinks. Now this is what he wrote. Now I want to say this. Instead of moving forward and removing the landmarks, we need to start moving backwards to get back to many of the ancient landmarks set in front of us. What, what is the, what's the United States done? They've taken the Ten Commandments and thrown them out the window. If you were to ask people, can you quote the Ten Commandments? My dad's generation, they could quote them. Do you think the kids now can quote them? I was watching a video. I, I think it was Kirk Cameron did a video on this, and he, they interviewed some people, and they asked them what the Ten Commandments are, and these were, these were people in ministry, and they couldn't answer well, I think love, yourself, love people like you should love yourself. And it's like, nah, that's not the commandments. That's not the Ten Commandments in Exodus. People in ministry didn't know. We have failed to realize how far we've went. We've already removed some ancient landmarks. Those Ten Commandments are good to live by. They're great to live by. You think it's a good commandment that you shouldn't steal? Tell the looters that. Thou shalt not kill. Tell the looters that. They've thrown everything out the window. They've thrown some ancient landmarks out the window. You say, well, Pastor Wagner, what can we do? Well, number one, we can point people back to Christ. He is our Savior. He is our God. 
And he is our friend. He, and what has he done for me? He's crucified for me. He was my comforter. He helps me in time of need. And he's my resurrection. See, the world will not see what we see. And I'll point this out so you understand real quick. If you were to ask the world, and let's just pick out something, the Grand Canyon. If you were to pick out the Grand Canyon and say, what does the Grand Canyon mean? You know what they would say? It means billions of years we evolved into something. Would they not say that? You know what I would say? Noah. <laughs> Simple answer. Noah. Noah's the one that did it. Noah was the situation that did it. And then you have, you have, if you said creation, they would say evolution. And last but not least, the cross. If they were to look at the cross, we said this last week. Remember what they said about the cross? The cross to them symbols, symbolizes death. They see it in cemeteries. They see it on the road. It always symbolizes death. You know what the cross does? The cross to me symbolizes life. When I go to my mom's... Um, um, the, the casket at my mom's where she's buried, there's a cross on it. You know what that means? She's alive. What the world sees is different than what we see. But we've dropped the ball. We need to understand that we don't need as Christians to remove not the ancient landmarks. And we've already removed some of them. We've removed some of the great songs that people wrote. Oh, we don't need amazing grace anymore. There's other songs that mean more. No, amazing grace means a lot. Count your many blessings. He keeps me singing, all these other things. We sometimes don't realize what we've done. We've removed ancient landmarks that God never intended for us to move. So what are you going to do about it? You know what you need to do? You need to remember who God is. What does Christ mean to you? He's my Savior. He's my God and my friend. What has He done for me? He was crucified for you. He's your comforter. And guess what? He was not only crucified, He rose again for you. Aren't you thankful that God rose again? Don't remove things that mean things. God truly has been good to us. To this day, and I'll end it with this, to this day there are people that want to come to the United States on a daily basis. People are leaving their country to a country that is destroying its own self. If you want to really know what it's all about, I've been list I listen to talk radio sometimes, and sometimes I shouldn't because it just aggravates me. But there was a Venezuelan woman that called in one of the talk shows. And she said, I came here legally, I got my citizenship, and now I'm an American citizen, and now I see America doing what Venezuela's doing. Straight down to small things. She said, that's not why I came here. I want to tell you something. We serve a great God. And we need to stand up for what's right. We don't need to tear everything down. We need to understand the Ten Commandments are still valid to this day. Well, it's Old Testament. Can you not get something from the Old Testament? Aren't you thankful for the Old Testament? Because when Jesus came back, He fulfilled the Old Testament. And you know what I'm thankful for? I'm thankful for the day of grace, the day that we live in. God's grace is sufficient with every head bowed and every eye closed. I want to say this to you. I'm not talking about America all the time, but I'm just, I'm burdened for this. I'm burdened for praying for our president, praying for our senators, praying for our congressmen. They need our prayers. We need to make some right decisions. And as Americans, you know what we need to do? 
We need to remove not the ancient landmarks which thy fathers have set. Oh, I wish Solomon would have listened to what, what his, son, his father David would have said. Oh, I wish Rehoboam would have listened to what his grandfather David would have said. But sometimes we don't learn from history. We want to just tear down and start over. Not all things that are new are good. Sometimes it's better to have some old things in your life. Old songs, old Bible. It's exactly what we need to stand for. Lord, I thank you for these people. May we, we, we look at the psalmist as he wrote, Remove not the ancient landmarks, which thy fathers have set. Lord, may we get back to understanding that you have something for us. May we get back to understanding that we need to stand when no one else will stand. We, we ought to speak as we should speak. Lord, we need to stand in the, in the trenches and stand up for you. And I know when I preach this, there, there, there could be many different things that that means. But Lord, let me be a fighter. Let me understand that you're worth fighting for. Thank you for dying on a cross for me. May I, as the song said, embrace that cross. I thank you, Lord, for the things that you've done for me. I thank you for the situations you've put us in. May we learn from your word. May we learn from things that are going on. May we learn from our past. May we not remove everything from our past because it won't make our future any better. May we be a church that uplifts you and understands that you are my God, my Savior, my friend. And that you were crucified and you're my comforter. And thank God for your resurrection. Lord, thank you for what you mean to me and thank you for what you've done for me. May we truly understand how great you are and how small we are. In Jesus' name, with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you could stand for us, I'm not going to have an altar call unless you want to come up and pray, but I'm telling you right now, no one looking around, how many of you would say that the United States needs prayer? How I many of you think that Governor Lee, Lee needs prayer? How about our first responders, our teachers, all these, all these different aspects? They need our prayers. We don't need to remove everything to make everything great. Sometimes it's good to remember. Christ is about life. He's about eternal life. You just spend some time. If you don't know Christ as your personal Savior today and you're in here, come see me. Talk to me. I would love to show you what it means to be a Christian. But if you are a Christian here, when you're looking at the world and you're looking at things around you, and I'm not trying to be negative about all this, but you know what? We definitely need to pray about it. So he's going to play in just a second. He's going to play two verses. Either come to this old-fashioned altar if you want to or sit at your pew and pray over your family, pray over your friends, pray over what's going on in the United States. And just thank God for who He is. And He made a rascal. He created me as a rascal, but He transformed me into something different. Aren't you thankful for what God does for you? Aren't you thankful for His strength? Because if He can conquer death, He can conquer anything. Lord, I thank You for these people. Lord, You know I love them. I've got dear friends here. Lord, you, you've, in, and even in my situation, you've put me in a situation where I have to rely on you. I can't, there's nothing I can do about this.
But then I look at America and you think, well, there's nothing I can do about that. But I can stand. I can talk about you. I can understand who you are. You're my God, my Savior, and my friend. May we never forget that. May we understand that we need to embrace that. Thank you for what you've done for me. Thank you for the crucifixion. Thank you for, for, for the resurrection and for the comfort that you give us. Lord, be with this invitation. We'll just talk to you. Maybe at the old-fashioned altar, maybe at their, their pews. But may we turn our area back into God. And may we turn that area into the county, into the city, into the state, into the country. God, you're still big enough to do that. You've not changed, and I thank you for it. Be with this invitation. In Jesus' name, as the music starts.